This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Ladies and gentlemen, August 11th, 2022, I am Matt Belinsky. This is your weekly dose of sanity, the prevailing narrative. What can we bring some sanity to this week? Uh, a lot of stuff in the news this week about conspiracy theories, or maybe every week these days, there's a lot of stuff in the news about conspiracy theories. Maybe that's just what American life is these days, uh, a constant volleying back and forth of accusations of conspiracy and and defenses or, or prosecutions of such claim. Anyways, one person who got such claims prosecuted against him this week was Alex Jones, very well known in the quote unquote conspiracy theory community um, around the Sandy Hook massacre and some of the comments that he made in claiming that that is a hoax and a number of defamation cases brought uh, against him from the parents um, who were the victims of some smear campaigns regarding, you know, Alex's claims that that was a hoax and that they were cr- a crisis actors. So uh, beyond the headlines, I try to get into what actually happened there, the legalities, whether there are any First Amendment implications and really try to dive into that because everyone just reacts so uh, uh, reacts so instinctually to anything involving Alex Jones. So tried to go a little bit into the background of him and that situation. And yes, I do think the verdict was the correct one, just to preface it here right now. Um, also, some accusations of conspiracy and other uh, unsavory attributes against Marco Rubio and in, in response to some uh, claims he made or some statements he made regarding quote-unquote Soros-backed prosecutors. So George Soros and claims about him, also something that is kind of uh, un- under, uh, you know, shrouded with claims of conspiracy, but we get into the nitty gritty on that. And really, are these claims cons- against source conspiracies? Um, I-, I think you won't have to stretch too far to know where uh, I stand on that one, but that we will also get into that. Okay, so big in the news this week. I thought I was done talking about him. Oh, God, I wanted to be done talking about him. Donald J. Trump. Fascinating guy, fascinating period of American history during which uh, he was a prominent figure. But uh, I think that's over, and I'd really prefer for him to just float off into the ether and also for the media and their obsession with him to dissipate because I don't think he's interesting anymore. Nevertheless, so despite my best intentions, Donald Trump back in the news this week. His home raided by the FBI, his Mar-a-Lago home in Palm Beach. He released this statement, and this is, I guess, how he, how he communicates now that he's not on Twitter uh, for the past maybe year or so. 
He just releases these statements on, I don't know who's writing them. Maybe he is, but uh, apparently it's some sort of official stationary from the office uh, of Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America. And he releases his variety of very Trumpian uh, statements. And so a, a pretty um, shocking one a few days ago, here was the statement. These are dark times for our nation as my beautiful home, Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, is currently under siege, raiding and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. Nothing like this has ever happened to a president of the United States before. After working and cooperating with the relevant government agencies, this unannounced raid on my home was not necessary or appropriate. It is prosecutorial misconduct, the weaponization of the justice system, an attack by radical left Democrats who don't want me to run for president 2024, etc., 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 and, you know, a bunch of uh, Trump hits all, uh, Trump checks off all of his greatest hits, mentions the Russia hoax and the impeachment hoax, the scam, and a variety of other topics that he loves to hit. But uh, the claim was that the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. Okay, so that's obviously going to get people's attention. Wait, uh, oh, so what's the reaction? Wait, is Donald Trump going to be arrested? Is the FBI prosecuting uh, uh, the recent president who is now still in the public eye and still at least claiming and at least a lot of people speculating that he's going to run again? Um, is that, Does this have implications or is this around January 6th and the Capitol riot? What is going on here? Or or is it so? So you're looking at that and we kind of can kind of theorize on three possibilities. Either one, they are building a case against Donald Trump and looking to prosecute him and, and believe that there's an incriminating evidence at Mar-a-Lago. That's one. Um, two, there's not necessarily an investigation into Donald Trump's wrongdoing, but they're looking for some sort of important classified materials that they think he took, which is, could implicate Trump for a, a process crime, but not necessarily um, for him to be prosecuted for anything involving January 6th or financial crimes or anything like that. Or third, this is just harassment and this is kind of bullshit. Um, and it's something that is really just to kick up some media dust was probably a miscalculation by the Justice Department is going to be much ado about nothing. So um we will we will go into the likelihood of all of those each of those three options being the case in just a moment um, and some background on what actually did transpire and what the predicate was has been released in in the last 48 hours of, or se- sorry 72 hours since the uh, FBI raid but and in terms of people reacting very strongly to this and believing that this really was uh, uh, oh, you know oppressive and unnecessary and really reflects badly on the FBI and the organ and the organs of the government in uh, raiding or searching Donald Trump's home. It's really a matter of the three C's, corruption, credibility, and consistency, right? Because, uh, you know, and this is just a pattern that seems to repeat itself in that Donald Trump, uh, uh, certain organs of the either the national security apparatus or the government act against Donald Trump, and you could search for some justification for it, but then you look at how, at the lack of consistency and how they've operated in other similar circumstances. And that's that's where I'm coming from, is that I just want consistency, okay? If Donald Trump, Donald Trump is not above the law, but neither is Hillary Clinton, neither is Joe Biden, neither is Joe Biden's son, uh, Hunter Biden, and neither are the agents of the FBI. So you want to see consistency here. And if you're going to say that, if you're going to sit there and say that any, that trying to bring uh, what transpired with Hillary Clinton in 2016 with the FBI investigation into her emails and her email servers and her, her treatment of classified information or the lack of an FBI investigation into everything surrounding Hunter Biden and his laptop, if you uh, simply dismiss those as conspiracy theories, you're wrong. 
Okay, those are both. There is a ton of evidence of wrongdoing in both of those cases, and it is it, it really one of the things that fuels Donald Trump and the support of Donald Trump, which is mostly in a lot of cases based on a suspicion and a mistrust of institutions and the national security apparatus. I mean, you're you're either one naive or two lazy. Either one, you're or you're just acting in bad faith. You could be someone who's just in the can and thinks that anything that any right winger believes or anything that Fox News says is automatically wrong, or you're just not actually looking into it. Because I think there are a lot of good-natured people who don't want to be biased, and it, they, once they actually start to see, wait a second, just because Donald Trump made a bunch of inane comments about Hunter Biden doesn't mean that Hunter Biden's laptop has a lot of evidence of suspected wrongdoing of selling access to both his father, who was vice president at the time, and other essentially uh, uh, Hunter Biden profiting from selling access to other powerful people in the United States government uh, to actors in parts of the world like Ukraine and China who might not have our best interests at heart. And the fact that the FBI has not looked into that, that there doesn't seem to be an investigation into it whatsoever, that's problematic. Okay, so you're, and aside from Jesus Christ, we can get into the Hillary Clinton thing, but yeah, I mean, the FBI outright, you know, James Comey in July 2016 issued a very extensive statement essentially saying, hey, mm, we can't quite we can't quite prove that Hillary uh, Clinton uh, mishandled this classified information intentionally, but there's dozens of other circumstances in which similar actors in, in that, that with a, a generally similar fact pattern here would be worthy of prosecution, but we're not going to prosecute. Listen, go read James Comey's uh, uh, memo uh, uh, from July 2016 and tell me that any concern about how Hillary Clinton operated a private server, which she wasn't supposed to do, deleted emails and mishandled classified information. Go read James Comey's statement and tell me that there's no smoke there, that there's no reason to be suspicious, and that there was no predicate to maybe prosecute her. But fair enough. They said, hey, there's always prosecutorial discretion, and it was utilized there, particularly with someone who was operating, it was the form, you know, act, well, recently former Secretary of State, and was a candidate, one of the, the party's nominees for president, that, hey, sometimes even if you can prosecute, it's not always right to prosecute. And I think a lot of that should, once again, apply to Donald Trump, depending on what they have evidence of of what the actual crime is that, you know, saying, hey, we could impute uh, uh, we could impute, you know, responsibility for January 6th to Donald Trump um, and prosecute him. But after we didn't really arrest anybody for uh, catalyzing any of the riots in summer of 2020 and also because it would just be too divisive, maybe we shouldn't. Right. But then this FBI raid and this FBI search comes along and you're wondering, wait a second, are they are, are they just putting their thumb on the scale again? Are they util now that they're in power, now that Donald Trump's opponents are in power or let's call it uh, a, an administration that is more supportive of the establishment and the national security apparatus that they're they're just going and acting in an asymmetrical fashion whatsoever. I, that's an absolutely legitimate concern. Two people who described what the concerns were about this raid and why some of the reaction to it, the negative reaction to it, may have been justified. One, Andrew Yang, and two, a person who I, I hesitate to quote often because I despise anybody having to do with the George W. Bush administration, um, his former press, uh, press spokesperson, Ari Fleischer. Uh, Yang said, 
I'm no Trump fan. I want him as far away from the White House as possible. But a fundamental part of his appeal has been that it's him against a corrupt government establishment. This raid strengthens that case for millions of Americans who will see this as an unjust persecution. Okay, so you have to show you've got an evidentiary basis, right? If the Department of Justice it wants to show that there was a legitimate purpose to investigate Donald Trump for a crime, in this case, they have to be they have to be far more transparent with it. Sooner, sooner rather than later, and within a week or two, they need to disclose what the basis very transparently, and we'll get to what they have disclosed and what what we do think this raid was about uh, based on information that's been revealed since the raid in just a second. But right off the bat, if this is about a criminal investigation of Donald Trump, okay, we need to hear what what it's based on and what we we need to hear what they were looking for, why they were looking for it, and what they found. We haven't really heard that quite yet, but like I said, we have a little more information to fill the picture out. Ari Fleischer broke this down in pretty good detail. Here's why the FBI raid, absent a finding that puts former President Trump behind bars, is so damaging. One, most governmental institutions are already not trusted by the American people. This raid contributes to the mistrust of the FBI. Can't really argue with them there. It leads to mistrust of the Department of Justice and the courts. Remember, two of the four court-appointed warrants against Carter Page were found to be invalid. Former Trump aide Carter Page, yeah, he, they, they, the FBI tried to issue a number of warrants against him, and some of them were turned down. So the whole idea that the FBI only comes after you and only issues valid warrants and only comes after you if it has probable cause and if you did something wrong, that is a fallacy. And some of the misconduct in, try, in going after Donald Trump within the scope of claims about collusion with Russia, all which turned out not to be proven proven that engendered a ton of mistrust and that's what happened and that was why I was so critical of that entire episode with people overstating the case and out kicking their coverage uh, in claims about Trump and Russia is that once the system makes these types of, of claims and doesn't follow through on and doesn't come through and doesn't have the goods you've in, you essentially broken trust in the entire system and, and it really poisons the well for situations like this as Fleischer goes on Trump has been subject to numerous probes absolutely true all of which turned out to be empty also all true. These did not turn up anything significant, nothing close to what they claim to be turning up. Four, did the Department of Justice really need to go to this length to enforce the Presidential Paperwork Act? Government lawyers and Trump lawyers couldn't figure this out. Department of Justice really had to resort to a raid, quote unquote. Also, FBI didn't raid Hillary's home to search for her server. Also true. They could have justified it. They didn't raid the DNC to get the server the Russians hacked. Also could have justified that. They didn't raid Clinton advisor Sandy Berger's home to see if he had additional smuggled classified material. Why is Trump held to a different standard? That's an absolutely fair question. It does seem like he's being held to a different standard. Once again, outside the scope of the law, just because he's a brash, brusque and hostile person. I'm sorry, being a jerk doesn't entitle you to less protection under the law. And it certainly seems if you're looking for the consistency from the system and how similar situations, even though they're not all completely analogous, but in much like you could probably look at the situation and say, all right, there was some justification for the FBI to uh, uh, issue a warrant, try to get it approved, the warrant to be approved and them to search Mar-a-Lago. Mm, there's other situations where they didn't push this hard. Why did they get to push so hard here? Okay. As to the information that has been revealed that seems to shed some more light on the main questions here, what were they searching for? Why were they searching for it? And what did they turn up? It's actually been revealed. So a New York Times piece titled, uh, The FBI Search of Trump's Home Pushes Long Conflict Into View. Okay, so this search was actually part of a larger investigation and, and a larger conversation between the Department of Justice, the FBI, and Trump's personal attorneys and and his, you know, his cronies and whatnot about materials that he seemed to have taken from the White House. And don't lose your shit over the fact that he took some materials from the White House. It's not the first president to do so. So fair enough. There's something called the 
Presidential Records Act. It was passed by Congress after the Watergate-Nixon fiasco, and essentially it says the United States shall reserve and retain complete ownership, possession, and control of presidential records. Okay, and that's something that is pretty broad, so that could encompass theoretically very uh, uh, important and volatile and highly classified materials and just bullshit that Donald Trump happened to have in his possession and come into contact with during the four years that he was in the White House, right? So there's a broad range there, so it doesn't in and of itself tell us much. Um, but apparently, so the New York Times describes how the com- there had been a conversation and, and this had been an ongoing, and there was even prior, there were 15, apparently 15 boxes of records that were voluntarily handed over from Trump's lawyer to the FBI back in January. And the seizing of these materials uh, this week was actually a continuation. And apparently these were additional materials that the FBI was was requesting and demanding from Trump and he wasn't turning over. So uh, the search carried out on Monday by the FBI at former President Trump's Florida home, a law enforcement action with explosive legal and political implications, was the culmination of a lengthy conflict between a president proud of his disdain for rules and officials charged with protecting the nation's records and secrets. On one side were officials from the National Archives, which is responsible for making sure all presidential records are preserved according to the law, and the Justice Department, with some people were familiar with the inquiry, had grown concerned about the whereabouts of possible classified information and whether Mr. Trump's team was being fully forthcoming. On the other side was Mr. Trump, in apparent contravention of the Presidential Records Act, had taken a trove of material with him to his home at Mar-a-Lago when he left the White House that included sensitive documents, and then, in the Justice Department's view, had failed to fully comply with requests he returned the disputed material. Okay, so we've got a situation where Technically, the president is not supposed to take uh, any variety of materials and documents from the White House, but there is some space for him to take stuff that has no relevance to his presidency. Um, it, it's not like every piece of paper he came in contact with for four years, simply he can't, you know, particularly someone who had business activities and a career beforehand, that he no longer has a right to those materials. So the Department of Justice claims that in the materials that they believe, and once again, we don't know, uh, uh, necessarily how they knew which documents he had taken without having searched them, but they seem to claim that they had probable cause to believe that some of the materials he had may include some important materials. Okay, fair enough. They seem then they went and got twelve box, sorry, fifteen boxes of uh, materials from him in January. So was there probable cause that these it contained you know matters of of grave national security concern or other government matters that really needed to be in the government's possession? They haven't been very forthcoming about that. Um, they seem to suggest that when they got those boxes back in January, the boxes included classified materials. So it made them think, okay, if this is what he had in these boxes, what does he have in? other boxes. Once again, these are claims that they have not really been elaborated on or established or verified um, by the Department of Justice. And you can say, well, the Department of Justice is con- uh, uh, is conducting an investigation. They don't have to uh, reveal the contents of the investigation until it's complete. I'm sorry, that's bullshit. Given the politically charged nature of this situation and the lack of consistency and the recent track record of the national security apparatus in its dealings with Donald Trump and its dealings with other people who are, you know, seem to be uh, uh, hostile actors to Donald Trump, no, that's not going to fly. 
why the Department of Justice needs to be far more forthcoming with, once again, what the predicate was for the search, what materials they have, what, even if it's just a vague description that does not you know, get into any classified or confidential material. They've got to be more forthcoming with this. If not, it just justifies so many of the fears, so many of the, the it validates so much distrust of the system and those claims, uh, uh, and very much in the vein of how uh, and Andrew Yang described it, that, you know, Trump's appeal is that he claims it's a corrupt government establishment versus him, and he's protecting the people. And if they can get to me, what do they think they're going to do to you? And uh, unless you're going to be more forthcoming, it, it either one, describe what the uh, the justification was for this raid, or two, you better have the goods and you better go and be prosecuting him and you better have a ton of evidence. If neither of those two things happen, all it does is so much more, uh, so more distrust and further in further validate Trump's claim and invalidate the government and the establishment. I'm sorry. That's what ha- that's that is the game that we're playing here. That's the equation that we're working with. And so based on trying to read the tea leaves and looking at the evidence, anything that is in evidence currently, both Donald Trump's reaction, what the the government, what information they have revealed um, and, and trying to interpret, well, OK, one, are they telling the truth? And if they are lying, why would they be lying in this manner? My interpretation is this was mostly much ado about nothing. This is a fart in the wind. Trump is not going to jail. They are not prosecuting him. The resistance fever dream, they're going to have to they're going to have to hold their money shots for another day, okay? Donald Trump is not going to jail. This was as this was, believe it or not, you know, uh, the story that they're releasing so far um, was the story, uh, and then it's fairly trivial in that they wanted to get their hands on some on some materials that Donald Trump had in their pos- in his possession. Um, they probably could have done without doing so. Simply leaving those materials in his possession would not have really threatened the nation's welfare whatsoever, and they probably would have been better off in not having indulged in this whole fiasco uh, to begin with. But you know, they'll t- if there's some documents about Kim Jong Un and North Korea and the secret the secret hotline between the two of them, great. They'll keep those materials. They'll go use them for whatever purposes they need to and move on. Um, in terms of this reviving Trump's political career, career uh, which I thought I think and I still think. Is is dead. Hmm, this could empower him. This could light a fuse back under him and kind of, you know, uh, 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 reestablish morale for MAGA. I don't know. I have some people in my DMs who are saying like, yeah, I voted for Trump, but I was done with him after January 6th. And now I'm just pissed off again. It just seems like harassment. And it's just he seems to be an avatar of people who think the system is abusive and unfair. And even though he's the wrong avatar, at certain junctures, junctions, people are willing to hold their nose and go with him on that journey. So will they be again? Um, will he even have the energy and the gumption to go to and run again? Um, I, I question that in a lot of ways, shapes and forms. Um, but unless the uh, unless this takes a, a really aggressive turn, I don't think it's going to amount to much. In a month, we're not going to even be talking about it. And uh, a lot, you know, it, it's just going to empower Trump. It's just going to have the result of boosting Trump back into the media for a couple days, justifying any of the more of the suspicions uh, of the system, of the establishment, getting the the resistance riled up again, you know, and having Trump as that foil. And this is uh, all this is going to dissipate over the course of the next few weeks. I'm a commentator who has been uniquely clear headed about all this. Eli Lake, um, he's uh, usually comments on national security affairs, but I've found him to be pretty, pretty knowledgeable and pretty level headed overall. Um, in response to someone tweeting at him, you must not. He was suspicious of the raid and 
that this is another circumstance where the resistance claims that things are about done for Donald Trump and the law he's, you know, the law's got him cornered and he's going to end up in jail and this was much ado about nothing. Um, someone responded to him, you must not understand how investigations work. Contrary to popular belief, fact-finding becomes fact finding comes before charges the idea being that oh this is just part of a uh, of an investigation because they were willing to raid mar-a-lago they had to have had something pretty significant on donald trump to begin with thus they're almost surely going to indict him. And Eli Lake responds, or maybe hear me out, a high profile search warrant for a Presidential Records Act investigation is meant to spark another round of innuendo and media speculation, but represents no real legal threat to Trump. You are being played. In all likelihood, this is the case. Anyone who thinks this ends up with Donald Trump being indicted or in prison, I'm sorry, you're going to have to find something else to do with your time. Um, some of the people who are getting into the more fanciful notions of MAGA conspiracy uh, fever dreams, same thing, um, you know, the system isn't all uh, uh, colluding and operating in, in coordinated force to go and throw Donald Trump in prison. This was probably a fart in the wind. Listen, I could be eating my words if we're back here in a week or two. But uh, hey, as always, you guys know where to find me. If I end up being wrong, you know, I will be the first to admit it. But uh, interesting times. Donald Trump, the zombie that the resistance just loves to not let die. They want to breathe life into him at every turn. Uh, made for an interesting news cycle, but I don't think it's going to be lasting too much longer. And we'll have more of the prevailing narrative after the break. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, Brady PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount+. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So sticking with the anti-establishment figures, one of the more prominent ones, Alex Jones of InfoWars, oftentimes referred to as a conspiracy theorist, regardless of how you feel about Alex. He has been one of the more successful independent journalists um, of the Internet era. And he has a he listen, he has a big audience and he generates a lot of money. But it looks like that a lot of that money is going to be going out the door. He got hit with a massive judgment this last week in Texas, stemming from defamation and uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress claims from two of the parents of a child 
murdered in the Sandy Hook massacre in Connecticut in 2012, all stemming from a lot of claims on in, uh, Alex's show and from InfoWars that the uh, the massacre, the shooting was some sort of hoax. It was fabricated that the parents may be crisis actors and that a lot of things didn't add up and a lot of claims that turned out to be de- demonstrably false and that led to harassment from some of Jones's audience and followers to these parents. And uh, I'm, I'm going to get into the details and, and see everybody kind of looks at the headlines. So I want to get into the details of what what he actually said, um, what actually transpired and how that led to the actual legal ruling um, in just a moment, because this does. Uh, well, there, there's there's at least a question of whether or not this has First Amendment implications. Um, and a, a lot of people who may be a little more sympathetic to Jones, although they don't think that what he did was right, will kind of brandish the First Amendment and free speech. I don't think that that applies here. I do not think it is. It is at all a legitimate defense of his. I'm kind of going to relate that to the Gawker case, which was kind of the left-wing version of the Alex Jones uh, Alex Jones case um, in just a moment. But I also, uh, you know, it's interesting to me to look back on these figures who have become kind of internet villains, but also that first generation of kind of pop culture character on the internet. And it's always interesting, particularly with Jones, because if you look at his background and his trajectory of how he's considered, I think it tells a lot about American society's trajectory. Okay, because if you go back and look at Alex Jones, Jones um, and how he got started in the 90s and then in the 2000s because he was already pretty prominent by 2011, 2012 before social media even really got cooking. I mean, he already had something like 80, 80 million unique uh, viewers a month by I think it was 2011. I mean, those are just massive numbers. So where the hell did this guy come from? How did he become uh, Alex Jones? He has been an independent journalist and a bit of a rabble rouser. And it's once again, quote unquote, an anti-establishment figure for quite a while. But back in the 90s, in the early 2000s, anti-establishment meant a completely different thing, okay? Because Alex Jones these days, or at least in recent times, is painted with the brush of the alt-right, conservative, you know, extreme right figure, but he was not always considered that. And I think it, it once again, is very informative of how the goalposts have shifted on what we consider right-wing, left-wing, extreme in one direction or the other. Back in 1998, Alex Jones was, uh, he was not arrested, but he made uh, headlines um, essentially showing up. He uh, he impeded on a George W. Bush uh, when George W. Bush was the governor of Texas, and he showed up and started lambasting George W. Bush at uh, at a gubernatorial rally. Okay, he was pretty prominently involved in those World Trade Organization protests, the World Trade Organization meeting in Seattle in 2000. These were left wing causes for the most part, right? Because the the le- the anti establishment figures, the Noam Chomsky's of the world, um, and you know Christopher Hitchens would uh, I don't know he, he's kind of placed in different buckets depending on the year when you look back at them. But um, the people that were considered anti-establishment back in the 90s and even into at least the mid to I'd say late 2000s were generally considered left wing. And these causes that Alex Jones got involved in that maybe some people can consider uh, a conspiracy theorist, these were generally slanted in the left wing direction. He was big on the Waco situation where the FBI kind of surrounded the Branch Davidian members and David Koresh and it ended up in you know the murder of a number of people there and questioning whether or not that was legitimate government action. Um, Alex Jones got kind of tiptoed around a little bit of 
the like, hey, was the Bush administration behind 9-11? And, you know, you, hey, fair enough, kind of kooky, conspiracy-laden the- conspiracy stuff. Although, if you look into the Koresh thing and Branch Davidian and uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, some, there are some shady connections that you might see amongst the people involved there and some members of the national security apparatus. But I'm as, I, I think anything considering or anything even suggesting uh, 9-11 was anything but what we saw it was is completely crazy. But Alex Jones was very cons- consistent in the 90s and into the 2000s as uh, always questioning the uh, the establishment narrative. Then as we get more into the late 2000s, the early 2010s and some of these uh, uh, mass shooting incidents come around and you know, Alex Jones, he's hey, any anybody who is anti-government, anti-establishment is going to stick uh, strongly by the Second Amendment. And that's probably where he started to be considered a little more right wing. Um, but I, I just find that very interesting. Obviously, then his association with Trump, who once again, I think some people, um, f- the reasons that they dislike him may not be so consistent because he does seem to slant against a lot of traditional right wing dogma. He's just very anti-establishment. And that's where he, he and Jones seem to connect. So uh, I think it's super interesting. You know, this guy, Alex Jones, who around the turn of the millennium was kind of this um, Noam Chomsky light, always uh, questioning the United States military, the government and and any establishment narrative is now kind of painted as associated with the extreme right. I think that does tell a lot about where our political goalposts have shifted. So on to what transpired um, with the Sandy Hook incident, the Infowars commentary around it and the legal calculus of the implications or lack of implications for the First Amendment here. Okay, so here's the thing. The First Amendment is not universal. It does not provide universal protection. Okay, it never has protected, for instance, uh, defamation and slander. Right. You cannot make misrepresentations of material facts about other people with reckless disregard for the truth and or malice and and get away with it. Okay, that's never been protected by the First Amendment or not any time recently. Recently, nor should it be protected by the First Amendment. And this is very similar to in the Gawker case, if you recall, um, where uh, uh, Peter Thiel funded Hulk Hogan to bring a lawsuit against Gawker for releasing a sex tape of his. So that was a different a different tort. That was a different cause of action because it was uh, an invasion of the right of privacy. So one, uh, the, these things, it doesn't just mean that the the First Amendment does not mean that the media can just say anything about you. It can't lie about you and it can't violate. Uh, it cannot release materials that were taken um, in an area where you had a reasonable expectation of privacy. And that's what happens with sex tapes. If you film a sex tape or, or conduct any other activity in your bedroom, you have a reasonable expectation of privacy there. So unless you know something is being filmed or authorize it as filmed or authorize someone to release something that documents activities that go on where you have a reasonable reasonable expectation of right of privacy. No, that's against the law. And that's what Gawker did. And that's why it drives me nuts when people try to defend Gawker that that it, they were supposed to be able to shield themselves behind the First Amendment there. It's like, no, the First Amendment does not uh, does not just disavow anyone of a right to privacy. And that's what Gawker violated there. So much like in the Gawker case, although that was a different cause of action here. Yeah. Uh, Alex Jones engaged in defamation. OK, he made reckless. You know, I, I we can question whether or not it was malicious, but it was certainly reckless. The statements he made around considering this incident to be a hoax and the parents um, of the people who were claiming to be the parents of the children who uh, were killed in the massacre to be involved in this hoax. And that led to damages and suffering for, uh, to the parents. And you can't hide behind the First Amendment on that. So let's see what actually transpired here back in 2012 on right after the massacre um one of alex jones's correspondents 
Owen Schroyer, um, started kind of, he, he was soft peddling a little bit more, you know, suggesting that, wait a second, some of what the parents are claiming doesn't add up. Um, he was quoted as saying, um, essentially he was saying that some of the parents said in interviews that they saw the dead bodies of their children with bu- bullet holes in their head. And Owen Schroyer was saying, well, the, the coroner uh, doesn't seem to have released the bodies and there's I, I, the information doesn't add up that they seem to be lying about that. Okay, so that's the first insinuation that they're lying. Then over the course of the next couple years, pretty much through 2014, every once in a while, Alex Jones would have a segment about Sandy Hook or he'd mention it. Um, he called the shooting staged. He said it had inside job written all over it. Uh, he mentions, and this is a quote, we got people clearly coming up and laughing and then doing the fake crying. We've got people uh, where it's actors playing different parts for different Different people. Adam Lanza, who is the shooter trying to get guns five times, we're told. The witness is not saying it was him. So he's clearly, I mean, you cannot, if a reasonable person would be on the other end of hearing what Alex Jones is saying, that this is, this was a hoax, and that the parents who are giving these interviews are are essentially lying to everybody and in collusion on the hoax. Okay. And that's obvious. Those are obviously damaging statements about these parents. And those damaging statements were factually incorrect. And if you play with fire like this, if you want to talk recklessly, like this and make these types of statements about a serious matter like this prepare to prepare to get burned prepare to get nailed and that's what happened to Alex like listen I think a lot of making him aside from Sandy Hook the notions of him as this arch super villain and particularly his notions of him and claims of him being a racist since he pretty much never even discusses racism or race as a topic from what I've gathered but I mean a lot of these claims and trying to make him out uh, as this this pariah super villain I think most of it is bullshit however in terms of Sandy Hook, yes, he was wrong here. He acted recklessly. You can't listen. You can't. You, this type of situation that is this tender and this delicate with dead children and the parents of dead children, you can't be running your your little shtick on this. Okay, you've got to be more careful about that. You've got to be more precise and you've got to be more sensitive. And he wasn't. Okay, and if you are going to make these types of claims and they turn out not to be true and demonstrably untrue, be prepared to pay up. And that is uh, uh, what happened to Alex Jones this week. An anti-establishment figure. He he can't just excuse this one as, hey, I'm a victim of the establishment and uh, and the establishment, the system was trying to hold it, uh, hold me down. No, he played with fire. He got burnt. He violated the law. He defamed these parents. He made material misrepresentations about a sensitive subject, and that's against the law. And uh, the jury, uh, the judge and the jury were clearly within their rights to level this judgment against him. Now will this take him off the air forever? Ah, I don't know. I I get. I can't imagine you've heard the last of Alex Jones. Um, he seems to ha- you know he seems to be difficult to kill. There might be some business reorganization for whatever he generates over the many coming years. They love to sell supplements. They sell a lot of products through Infowars. Man, you look at some of these numbers. They have generated a ton of revenue over the past decade. A lot of that may be going to parents, but uh, I find it unlikely that Alex Jones is not going to have some sort of media presence over the coming years. And um, Forget Alex o- overall, okay? He's not a sympathetic figure, and certainly what he did uh, to the Sandy Hook parents needs to be punished. However, those who do take on establishment narratives and do seem to have an odd habit of throwing, you know, of, of saying some kooky stuff that sometimes ends up being true. So we'll, we'll see how this reflects um, on those on independent alternative media figures who might try to propel anti-establishment narratives. It may be Alex Jones is no longer part of that story. He has been kind of uh, floated out on an iceberg and now everyone will label him a kook and he will have, you know, uh, many people think he did not have any legitimacy to begin with. 
So if we're looking at the story of the first generation of prominent internet alternative uh, media anti-establishment figures, listen, Alex Jones plays into that story one way or another, love him or hate him. We will see if he plays into the net, whatever the next chapter is in that story, we'll see if he has any prominence. But I, I doubt that anti-establishment narratives and alternative media, there will certainly be many more chapters and many more volumes to the story of alternative anti-establishment media figures uh, as we go along because the, uh, the, the establishment's giving us no shortage material to work with and we'll have more of the prevailing narrative after the break So let's keep on talking conspiracy theories. And instead of discussing a person who's considered to be a conspiracy theorist, Alex Jones, let's talk about what a conspiracy theory is and counterintuitively in some circumstances when the actual conspiracy theory is the claim that there is no conspiracy. Once again, when the actual conspiracy theory is the claim that there is no conspiracy or let's call it the claim that there is no sinister activity going on. It's a gentleman named George Soros. He is uh, a billionaire financier, hedge fund guy, made a lot of money. Um, shorting a variety of currencies, a variety of other ways, from what I've uh, understood in term in the investment community, a very well-regarded guy, I imagine so, because he made tons of money. He is hardcore left-wing, and he funds any number of very uh, aggressive, progressive left-wing causes, and has for a long time. He's got an open, he's got a foundation called the Open Society Fund. Um, spent probably about thirty-two billion dollars over the course of its lifetime. George Soros funds a lot of left-wing causes, but for some reason. And this is something that he does not deny. It's very openly and transparently done, and he's very proud of it. He wins awards. He showcases these. Him and his son, Alex Soros, they, he's, his son's you know more of a, the Instagram generation. He posts photos all the time about what the Open Society has done and what causes their funding. Yet, for some reason, when you, acute, when you make claims about what George Soros is funding, you are considered, one, a conspiracy theorist, and two, anti-Semitic for some reason. Let's look into this a little bit further. So Marco Rubio, uh, last week, he tweets out, the Democrats just blocked my effort to try and force Soros-backed prosecutors to put dangerous criminals in jail. And apparently, he was trying to pass some legislation that would require uh, more strict rules around uh, district attorneys and prosecutors for major metropolitan areas, many of whom were elected with funding from George Soros to be more. Uh, Marco Rubio's legislation was trying to require these prosecutors to be more aggressive in prosecuting crime. Seems pretty reasonable, right? But for some reason, you're not allowed to mention that George Soros funds these individuals. And apparently, in accurately identifying that George Soros is the biggest advocate or the most substantial advocate and fundraising valve for these prosecutors, this is for some reason, uh, one, a conspiracy theory, and two, anti-Semitic. Let's look at the way people react to this. Um, Fred, Fred Gutenberg. Uh, you got to go. So, okay, so Mark Rubio's this tweet, you've got to go look at the replies. It is just nothing but people claiming that this is a conspiracy or that you are that Marco Rubio and anyone who agrees with him is anti-Semitic for making this accusation. Let's look, look at some of it. Uh, Brian Tyler Cohn, he's a liberal podcaster, over 500,000 followers on Twitter. His response, it's probably easier to just type Jews, Marco. Fred uh, Fred Wellman, on Democracy podcaster, over 200,000 followers. Say Jewish. We all know that's what you mean, you little fascist wannabe. 
fascinating. Howard Foreman, a Yale professor, is a medical professor, has been one of the uh, more prominent vo- medical voices on COVID. Yale, he's a professor at Yale, 61,000 followers. His uh, response to Marco Rubio's tweet, please stop with the anti-Semitic references, even if it does appeal to your base. Just stop. This is fascinating. It's pretty much an article of faith on the left wing that any criticism whatsoever of George Soros is anti-Semitic and two, any claim kind of derivative of that, that any claim that he is funding prosecutors, that there is such thing as, quote unquote, Soros prosecutors is just a fabrication. It's a myth. It's a conspiracy. This is fascinating. Let's look into it. Okay, Politico 2016. Politico, not exactly Breitbart. I mean, it's a pretty if slanting to the left or at the very least neutral publication. Um, an article, George Soros's quiet overhaul of the U.S. justice system. What is this? George Soros, once again, very transparently, very proudly, very openly is claiming, I want to go and transform the United States justice system by electing district attorneys who are more forgiving in prosecuting crime and look for ways to prosecute, uh, uh, look for ways to to handle criminals other than sending them to jail. That's the whole notion of this. Right. As the article goes on. The billionaire financiers channeled more than $3 million into seven local district attorney campaigns in six states over the past year, a sum that exceeds the total spent on the 2016 presidential campaign by him by all but a handful of rival super donors. This is 2016. He's increased his funding since then. But 2016, very obvious, recognized a blatant flagrant fact that George Soros is funding the campaigns of a variety of reform-minded prosecutors, okay? As it goes on, Soros has spent money on district attorney campaigns in Florida, Illinois, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Mexico, and Texas through a network of state-level super PACs and a national 527 with unlimited money group. This is this controversial? Is this is anyone disputing this? George Soros doesn't seem to dispute this. In fact, George Soros went and wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal literally a week before this. His op-ed set was titled "Why I Support Reform Prosecutors." He's admitting to doing it. He's not even denying it. All these idiots, all these people claiming that any mention of Soros prosecutors is anti-Semitic and or a conspiracy. They're literally saying the opposite of the guy they're claiming the conspiracy is about. George Soros is saying the exact opposite. He's admitting it. Okay, and what was that op-ed? It was a defense that, oh, really, that we have an un it's his broken philosophy because he's a 91-year-old billionaire who doesn't know how the world works because he's been at fucking rich and out of touch for so long that he just sees that mm, a majority of the people who go to jail are lower income, they may be minority, and by, by simply uh, as a result of that fact alone, that means the system is unfair, that there's no factoring in of, hmm, did the people who are going to jail commit crime? Right. Uh, Did they deserve to go to jail regardless of where on the socioeconomic spectrum they fall and whether or not, depending on that, was jail the right overall decision for society to incarcerate them and keep them away from people that they harmed? That doesn't seem to play into his calculus whatsoever. And that's why his prosecutors and his DAs have been so harmful. Who are some of these people? Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, George Gascon uh, in Los Angeles, who we are very familiar with, Chesa Boudin in San Francisco, who is so bad this was a Soros-backed prosecutor. He was supportive of Boudin, both in terms in terms of funding him and he aligned with how George Soros wants to reform the criminal justice system. 
Chesa Boudin was did such a great job with San Francisco deteriorating that he was bounced in a recall election by about 20 percent a couple months ago. Um, beyond that, Alvin Bragg, Manhattan, one point one million dollars. Kim Fox of Cook County, Illinois, Chicago, two million dollars. Buta Birajaj, I don't know how to pronounce the name. Loudoun County, Virginia, another million dollars there. These are all prosecutors who prosecute crime less, who are more forgiving of criminals and don't sentence them to as long jail sentences and are less likely to prosecute crime. That is in their base thesis and philosophy. And thus, one, people criticize this when people speak out against this and identify Soros-backed prosecutors as a particular category that he is the most prominent, most significant funder of, that this is an accurate statement. That you could say, if you want to go and defend George Soros and his actions here, then go and defend them on the substance. But they don't do that. It's unbelievable. They just call you anti-Semitic. They say this is an anti-Semitic trope. It's crazy. Uh, Robert Krause, he was uh, responded to some of these people responding to Marco Rubio. This was his tweet kind of mocking this leftist. So what is a Soros-backed prosecutor, question mark, right-wingers? George Soros literally supports certain prosecutors. George Soros, it's true, I do. Leftist, it's a mystery. I think it must be anti-Semitism. That really sums it up right there. Like, literally, people claim, people identify prosecutors as Soros-backed. They are Soros-backed. You can prove that he supplies them with significant funds. He admits he does it. And then anyone who identifies this gets called anti-Semitic or gets considered to be... uh, uh, traversing in anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Go look at search results for George Soros anti-Semitism. There's article after article of claiming that any criticism of George Soros is trafficking anti-Semitic tropes. The uh, the Anti-Defamation League, Soros conspiracy theories in the protests, a gateway to anti-Semitism. I mean, go, go read this stuff and then cross-reference it with the, once again, undisputed factual evidence of the causes and the politicians that he funds and that he does not deny funding. He admits to funding and then cross-reference them with that against the claims that there are conspiracy theories about who he's funding and what he's doing and see see who's the conspiracy theorist. See who's the conspiracy theorist. Are the conspiracy theorists the people who are critical of George Soros or the ones who dismiss any criticism of him as trafficking in Jew- Jewish stereotypes and claims of conspiracy theories? You go do the research and you tell me. But this stuff is all over the place. You can find it just article after article claims Tucker Carlson uh, criticized George Soros last year. And all the results are Tucker Carlson uh, on jo- George Soros is his latest anti-Semitic dog whistle. The Anti-Defamation League criticized Fox News on Wednesday for embracing Tucker Carlson and what it deems anti-Semitic rhetoric centered around George Soros. What did he say about George Soros? He claimed that George Soros's goals was destruction aimed at the West and aims to make society more dangerous and dirtier. Okay, you could claim that his aim isn't to do do that in electing these prosecutors who prosecute less crime that always almost all invariably leads to deterioration, chaos and destruction in communities. But if you're actually being honest and you look at the blatant results of every every jurisdiction where he has funded a prosecutor, crime gets worse. Go look at the numbers in Philadelphia. Larry Krasner. A lot of people don't know about Philadelphia Soros backed D.A. Larry Krasner. Philadelphia is exploding in crime. They are going to crush records for the most uh, for the uh, most significant murder rate ever. Murder is skyrocketing. Go look at the results of Larry Krasner's rule in Philadelphia. Kim Fox in Chicago, George Gascon in L.A., Chesa Boudin in San Francisco. The list goes on and on. So go look at the results 
of when George Soros, a George Soros funded DA takes over in a jurisdiction and look at the results and which direction crime goes. And then tell me if it's a conspiracy theory that whether by by simply his moral ignorance and simply how out of touch he is or whether it's a conscious motive that the claim that he's trying to make the world and America more dangerous and dirtier is not too crazy. It's pretty reasonable. It sure as hell is not a conspiracy. So looking back on our conversation around conspiracies, Alex Jones, a lot of the claims about him validated by recent occurrences and this trial around Sandy Hook. The George Soros, the reaction to criticism of George Soros is batshit insane. It is completely invalid. And there's really some gall on people to claim that they are the fact based, reality based clan when they're calling everything about where they are simply are factually incorrect about everything, every claim about George Soros. They outright contradict what George Soros himself says. And they claim that everyone who thinks that he is adding to destructive district attorneys and funding these people is just trafficking in uh, an anti Semitic conspiracies. It is complete bullshit. And it's just a sign about how the people that consider themselves the establishment that think that they are well grounded, that they are the quote unquote, the intellectual elites that think that they have more intellectual credibility are full of shit. Okay. Do your research on George Soros. This is not stuff that is difficult to uncover. It does not take an investigatory journalist in order to go uncover. This is all right there in front. And in fact, go look at what George Soros once again publicly admits to involving himself in and supporting. So Marco Rubio, perfectly valid claim and valid piece of legislation, not at all anti-Semitic to refer to these prosecutors as Soros backed. Brian Tyler Cohn, Fred Gutenberg, Howard Foreman, Fred Wellman, everybody else in Rubio's mentions claiming conspiracy, claiming some sort of anti-Semitism. Bullshit. You people need to get your head out of your ass. And if you follow those people and you believe these people and you believe they have credibility, you might have to get your head out of your ass as well. I am Matt Belinsky. Once again, you can listen and subscribe to The Prevailing Narrative on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Make sure to follow me on my socials at Matt Belinsky, M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y. The Prevailing Narrative is a Cavalry Audio production in association with iHeartRadio. Produced by Brandon Morgan, executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. For Cavalry Audio, I'm Matt Belinsky.